Thanks for listening to the Woodward Podcast Network. Check out more shows by searching for us on Spreaker or wherever you catch your podcasts. The Woodward Podcast Network with Krupka Dental Associates. Hello, this is Dr. John Krupka from Krupka Dental. We now have the Saleo Laser. You can have your fillings done without needles nor drills. We are a full-service dental office and always accepting new patients. To learn more about me and my friendly team, visit KrupkaDental.com. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for being with us here on this Wednesday, October 19th, 2022. I'm Haley Tenpass. We're here in the Myron Construction Studios at WHBY. Just heard Zach Morris share our forecast. 36. Ugh. Whew. All right. Shake it off. We've got 71 degrees coming Sunday. Well, you're gonna, we're going to almost double <laughs> what today is. I'm okay with that. Hey, Zach, how you doing? See, you hope that you're excited <laughs> for 71. They find out it's cloudy ends up being like 59, 60. <laughs> it's, not, it's not 36, though, whenever, whatever the case. Hey, it's getting you prepared for what's coming. I know. But we will still sneak in a few of those beautiful days. I'm still just... It's what's bringing me through the week, truly, looking at that weekend forecast. And I hope that uh, Focus Fox Valley maybe is helping you get through the week as well. We've got so much to talk about here today. I'll get to that in just a bit. But first, of course, we want to highlight and say thank you to Sturdivant and Associates. We are so appreciative of their support of Focus Fox Valley. And they are your go-to if you are navigating the world of Medicare and Medicaid, maybe the flyers. Um, Maybe you're getting more Medicaid and Medicare flyers than political flyers. You never know this season. But they are ready to help you out with the free advice to talk you through, to pick the plan. If you're turning 65, give them a call, 920-969- 1956, or you can visit them in the old train station depot, again, 500 North Commercial Street in Nina. All right. A very busy show here today. We're going to check in with the History Museum at the Castle in just a few moments. Following that, in hour number two, the new executive director, an old familiar voice to our listeners, Alicia Garrick joins us from Christine Ann Domestic Abuse Services. And finally, our focus on careers highlights more of manufacturing month taking a look at those who go into the electricity program at fox valley tech we'll look at all the different careers that are associated with that that is what's coming up here in our number two of focus fox valley right now though welcoming back to the studio dustin mack the chief curator over at the history museum at the castle hi dustin hi Haley. thanks for having me good morning to you so thrilled to have you and we're talking about a new exhibit today That's right. So we recently opened Stitching History from the Holocaust. It's another traveling exhibit. This one is from the Jewish Museum of Milwaukee. And it it tells a really personal story of a couple trying to survive the Holocaust. Um, Unfortunately, they didn't. And um, their story has come to light in, in this exhibition. We're happy to share it with people. This, this is such a powerful story, Dustin, what you've brought here. And I had to look up this this couple uh, after reading this the press release, and I, I can't wait to get to the exhibit myself. But my goodness, this story 
is heartbreaking and and devastating. Um, but the fact that we're still talking about them today and what they went through and the legacy that uh, Hetty, is it Hedy or Hetty? Hetty. Hetty, yep. the, the legacy that she has continuing today. I'm, I'm glad we're still able to talk about her work. Um, but it's it's a really important topic and uh, very relevant to 2022 still to this day. Oh, absolutely. The the timing is so important. We we have to remember our history, in particular the horrible things that have happened, in order to just not forget and learn the lessons of the past. And so, um, in this exhibit, the the title "Stitching History" comes from the fact that. Hetty um, Stenad, the, the wife here, um, was a dress designer in Prague, Czechoslovakia, and her designs have survived the Holocaust, and they were literally stitched together um, to create the dresses that are on display in this exhibit. And so the, the story is of Paul and Hetty Stenad, and they're trying to immigrate to the United States, too. They've got a cousin named Alvin that lived in Milwaukee. And in 1939, Paul wrote uh, or wrote to him asking, you know, can you help us immigrate to the United States? And at that time, the United States had very restrictive immigration policies. And um, while Alvin did everything he could to try to help Paul and Hetty escape, um, unfortunately, he was un- unable to do that. And the, the couple was sent first to a concentration camp and then to the Warsaw Ghetto where mm-hmm. they um, were ultimately murdered. Wow. The the reason, though, they were looking to get asylum here into the United States and kind of the ticket that they thought in, in my reading was the fact that uh, Hetty was such a talented designer. And when we say talented, her designs were were top of the line. Prague, Czechoslovakia is a very sophisticated uh, community and city as well. So to be a dress designer there, tell us a little bit more about her and I guess the the level of 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 work that she did and how well known she was in that city. So Prague at the time in the 1930s was a center of design and fashion. It was yes. uh, you know similar to Paris or New York at the time. Um, the tailors were oftentimes Jewish, and so um, Hetty being Jewish, it was you know a, a natural fit, and she was very skilled in it. So, in the in the records, like in the census records, she's listed as a lady tailor, and she owned and operated her own shop for at least fifteen years prior to um, wow. to her death, and she was very skilled and talented. And so, it was her abilities that Paul and Hetty trusted that they would or hoped that they would be able to uh, immigrate to the United States. Paul himself was a successful banker, but that's not what their focus of their letter was. It was in Hetty's ability as a designer. And so um, as they're writing these letters, asking for help, trying to escape what what they saw coming from Nazi Germany, um, they included Hetty's dress designs. There's eight dress designs, and they said, like, this is proof of her skills and ability, and that we'll be able to provide for ourselves once we get to the United States. They they wouldn't be a burden to their family mm. or to the federal government. They would be able to make a living here in the United States based on Hetty's skills as a designer. Wow. It's amazing because you can, you know, a banker, a job in finance probably 
you know, pretty typical for for that time for a man in that area. But dress designers probably few and far between or ones with that amount of talent as well. Yeah. And her designs are, are cutting edge at, at the time. I mean, they're high end designs that um, we, we know that she was seeing what was happening for other designers in, in Paris and New York, like I mentioned, and replicating those and coming up with designs that are unique to her. And so what's awesome about this exhibit is that her designs were actually brought to life and and created in a way that she had only ever imagined them in her head and seen them on paper. And so um, a costume shop in the Milwaukee Theater was able from these designs to make these dresses. And now we have the privilege of seeing them you know, in in person in a way that Hetty was never even able to do. We're going to talk about that in a little bit, but I want to talk about how these designs were uncovered. They had sat in, in a box, in an envelope. They were, you know, not thought of, not given any thought for a really long time. So this is why we hang on to things. Yes. Um, and before you get rid of anything in your house, you, you want to go through it and look at it first. And so it was... Um, This letter and these dress designs had come down kind of as a box of junk, you know, that you inherit from your your parents or from your grandparents when they pass on. It had just been sitting in um, in a basement in Milwaukee and kind of forgot about until um, a man was going through and kind of cleaning out his his parents stuff. And he stumbled upon this letter and these dress designs and had the forethought to donate this letter to the Jewish Museum of Milwaukee. And um, it's fantastic that he did because with without that you know Paul and Hedy Stenad might have been forgotten and Hedy's skills mm. might not have been appreciated um, and I know you know it was it was really important for those that were going through the Holocaust to have somebody remember them to have proof that they were alive that they existed in some way and so the fact that these letters you know were passed down and hung on to and then finally donated to a museum is just really powerful in a way that we can keep their memory alive and and personalize the Holocaust in a way that it's hard to do sometimes. We do need to still talk about it. It really wasn't that long ago and hate is still out there as we've seen in recent comments from public figures including uh, former President Trump and Kanye West, right? So we need to remember these stories and keep talking about it and We're going to do that next. So stick with us more on this amazing exhibit. You're going to want to see it. We'll tell you more about how we got it here to Appleton and the making of those dresses too. Intricate details that were just remarkably done, impeccably done. We'll talk more about this when we come back after the break. Once again, welcome back to Focus Fox Valley. We are checking in today with the History Museum at the Castle. They have a new exhibit. It recently opened uh, earlier this month. It's called Stitching History from the Holocaust. It's based on the true story of a couple's attempt to escape Nazi persecution. And we're learning more about what was uncovered after their sad, unfortunate deaths. Um, They did not end up escaping Nazi persecution. Dustin Mack is with us here today, chief curator of the History Museum at the Castle. The story is just incredible. I'm I'm just I'm obsessed with it because of the the truth in it, but also the glimmer of hope 
that we see today and that we're still talking about this couple um, how many years later. How did you get it to Appleton? How did you get this exhibit to Appleton? And, and maybe the history of the exhibit. Um, let's take some steps back. I want to hear first how the dresses were made. That's actually where I want to begin. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this, Dustin, if you can't tell. So how were the dresses made? Because we found these designs, right, in this box. And I know that the thought was, okay, let's recreate these. But how do we do it in a way that honors that time period, these designs, and of course, Hetty's legacy and her life as well? So it's not a simple process just to create the dresses. So the drawings were on eight different pieces of paper and they were kind of sketched and watercolored on um, which is great and i mean it's, it's a fantastic record so the jewish museum of milwaukee went to the costume shop of the milwaukee repertory theater and um, talked to them about you know creating these dresses thinking well they'll just take the picture and and run with it but it's far more complicated than that so uh, what the first problem was is you know the, these are paper drawings and we don't know what the fabric was mm. we don't know if it was a shadow or a pleat we have all the designs are um, from the front so you don't see anything on the back of the dress and what that might have looked like and so the theater department really did a tremendous amount of research as to what fashion styles were like in the 1930s what types of fabrics might have they used um, what what was trendy at the time because Hetty was a high-end designer and she was on par with her trends and so they were doing a lot of historical research to see what was popular and try to recreate it as best they could now a lot of her designs also had fabrics that weren't um, readily available with patterns on them and everything like that. So they custom printed wow. a lot of the fabric that was used for these dresses. And then they went about trying to replicate the same methods of piecing a dress together that they would have been using in the 1930s. So they did a lot of hand stitching and that sort of thing um, to, to really bring these dresses to life. If anybody has ever seen, um, you know, theater costumes in the past, a lot of times they look good from far away, but as you get up close, you know, they, they're made quickly and it's, they're not made to be examined up close. That is not the case with these dresses. Mm. They were, are impeccably done. Every stitch, every detail, it's, it's on point and they, they really look fantastic. They're stunning, first and foremost. I have some pictures of them in front of me right now. I wish our listeners could see what I'm seeing, but you'll have to go to the exhibit, I suppose, which is the goal of today's interview to get folks into this exhibit. But you're so right. Some of these designs, I think, would still be fashionable in 2022. They are stunning. But it also makes me wonder about what fabrics were available in 1939 when, when Hetty was designing these. You know, Europe was in a wartime. What could be available to her? Did she have that, you know, into account? Uh, but these and hat you know, headpieces, too. There are hats and jackets and lined with fur. And what I also find amazing is that there was color in these pictures. Uh, so you really were able to see what her vision was for these pieces. Yeah, and a lot of people were dressing in kind of drab colors at the time. Um, but these dresses are, are blue and um, purple and white. And there's there's all different styles too, right? So there's there's winter coats that, like you said, would be fashionable and, and work well on a day like today. But there's mm -hmm. also ball gowns and then there's just kind of regular um, kind of more of an everyday type um, dresses. So she, she really had a broad 
um, style mm -hmm. and utilized it in these drawings to show what she was capable of doing. Yeah. I love the hats that she's included. Those are also just beautiful pieces. So eight in total were recreated, correct? Yeah, so there's eight in total that they made. Um, one of the unique things about each of these dresses, too, is that they found a letter where Hetty had signed her name at the bottom. And so they were able to take her signature off of that letter and kind of clean it up a, just a little bit. And um, they created a tag that what goes on the inside of each dress, and you can see them on display in some of the dresses. And it says Hetty in her signature, and then original. And mm -hmm. so this tag wasn't something that Hetty herself used, but again, they did a lot of historical research and found that other designers had similar tags at the time. So it's plausible that had Hetty lived and been able to create her own line, that she would have had a tag similar to this. And so each dress has this tag that says wow. Hedia Original that's in her own signature. Wow. And those putting the exhibit together also took the liberty of adding some accessories, shoes, right, and, and some purses and bags and things. Yeah, so her drawings included all of those um, items as well. And wow. so they, you know, created the hats because, the, you know, they don't, you can't just buy them no. off the shelf somewhere. So all of this stuff had to be created um, or some of the shoes had to be sorted. Um, in order to get the right color to make it match the dress, which I, I love. Um, but yeah, they, they did a fantastic job of pulling these pieces together. And they were really true to the story and true to what would have been um, available to Hetty at the time. Wow. All right. We're going to take another break. But when we come back, how you can see this exhibit, how long it's here in Appleton and more to come when we talk with the History Museum at the Castle right here on WHBY. You're listening to Focus Box Valley on WHBY. The History Museum at the Castle joins us here today. Their newest exhibit here currently until January-ish of 2023 is called Stitching History from the Holocaust, the true story of a Jewish couple, Paul and Hetty um, Stranod, and their attempt to escape Nazi persecution and the dress designs that were uncovered uh, decades, decades later after their unfortunate passing and, 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 and murder. Uh, so we'll talk further about this exhibit and how you can see it, you know, how long it's here, of course, but how do we get an exhibit like this. I think that's important to share with our listeners because this is a traveling exhibit and you mentioned that it came from the Milwaukee Jewish Museum. Originally that's where it first uh, was showcased. So how did we get it here to Appleton? We're really fortunate to have it here and be able to experience this exhibit. So the Jewish Museum of Milwaukee created the exhibit and initially it was a permanent exhibit for them and it was just so popular. Um, that's how we initially learned about it about 10 years ago, a little less. And um, we were just really struck by the story and the, the way they had gone about creating the dresses and telling the story of the Stenads. And because of its success, the Jewish Museum began um, traveling it after it had kind of run its course in Milwaukee. And it's gone all over the country. And we've tried several different times to get our schedule to align with theirs. And it just never quite worked out. Right, as this exhibit was going all over the place. 
Um, but finally, now this past summer, we were able to um, make it work for both of our schedules. And we just feel really fortunate that we can have the exhibit here and that we can share this powerful story and remember those who, who died in the Holocaust. Wow. All right. Another cool piece of this is that uh, Milwaukee PBS uh, has, PBS Milwaukee has kind of put together uh, a documentary of sorts, uh, a show that showcases this exhibit in its entirety. That's right. So they made an award-winning um, story on the making of the exhibit. So they interview um, the curators at the Jewish Museum, but also the dress designers who help bring these dresses to life. And they show every step of the process. And so now for the first time, we've paired the exhibit with this video. Mm. And so people can come to the History Museum, they can see the dresses and experience the exhibit for themselves. But then they can also watch how the exhibit was made and the making of the dresses, which I know is really interesting for a lot of people. And to just to understand that process, how a historian works and how a dressmaker works and, and watch it all come together in 26 minutes. Wow. And, and I'm sure the, the t- duration that it took to create these dresses is much longer than what you see on on the screen. <laughs> yeah, oh, for sure. For sure. It took a lot longer than that. But this gives an, a really nice kind of recap of how the exhibit came to be, how the dresses came to be. And you see the thought and the care yeah. that went into the creation of these things. What has the reception of this exhibit uh, been like so far? It's been here for a couple of weeks. It's, it's been very powerful. So I've seen people go through the gallery and be um, very moved by the story. Some people, you know, with tears in their eyes even. Um, it's, it's just really moving to think that of 6 million people who were murdered in the Holocaust, so this is the story of just two of them. And because of the, the dress designs and the, the letters that um, are part of this exhibit, you get a, a personal feel for who mm-hmm. they were and what it meant for them. They, they knew what was, what was happening. They were in Prague, Czechoslovakia, and they, they knew that the Nazis were advancing and that the probability of the Nazis taking over was pretty high. And they were doing everything in their power to escape that onset and were unable to do it, in in part because of the restrictive immigration laws that the United States had in place. And so they were stuck. Um, And and you feel that in this exhibit. Um, Part of the beauty of it, um, of this exhibit, is to see these dresses come to light. So it's not just the people that were lost during the Holocaust. It was their creative talents as well, either as dress designers or artists or writers, scientists, mathematicians, all of these skill sets were lost when these people were murdered. And so to be able to bring some of that back and to showcase her talents and, um, you know, represent kind of what was lost in the Jewish community is a really powerful story. And it's been very moving for people. It's just so unfair that their lives were cut so short, but Thankfully, we have this beautiful, beautiful memory, and we're still talking about Paul and Hetty today. I'm so glad that we can share their story and see her work. And my goodness, we you can't stop. You can't erase history. We have to keep talking about it. And that's what the History Museum at the Castle does for us. Thank you, Dustin, for, for helping. I know it wasn't just you, but an amazing team over at the museum who has brought this to our attention and has this exhibit here until January of 2023. How do we see the exhibit? Remind us of those hours, where you're located, all that good stuff. 
So the History, History Museum is right on College Avenue. It's the big castle-looking building. That's, that's our name, uh, 330 East College. And so the museum is open every day except for Tuesdays throughout the winter from 10 to 4. And um, people can check us out on, on our website, myhistorymuseum.org, or they can stop in and, and visit um, Anytime that that we're open, we're we're glad to have them, and we want to share this story with as many people as possible. And this, of course, is not the only exhibit you do have. Remind us of some of the familiar favorites that people might want to check out as well. Yeah, so we're always um, trying to bring new exhibits um, without um, taking over some of the fan favorites. So we have AKA Houdini, which is probably our most well-known exhibit. It's really hands-on. People learn about Houdini's history here in the Fox Valley and his kind of rise to fame and get to try some of his magic tricks. And we have a number of other kind of local history exhibits. And right now, one of my favorites is we have a display case that showcases the 150 years that the museum has been in existence and kind of different pieces that we've collected over the years and tells um, snapshots of history in that long span of time. Fantastic. Dustin, thank you so much for being here today. And I I can't tell people how important this exhibit is and how lucky we are to have it here. I hope you don't miss it during its tenure uh, here until January. Until the end of January. End of January of 2023. Dustin Mack, Chief Curator over at the History Museum at the Castle. Thank you again for being here today. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll take a short break and we'll come back and let you know a few fun things here on WHBY. Welcome back to Focus Box Valley at on WHBY. I'm Haley Ten Pass with you until one o'clock here today on WHBY. Zach Morris also with me producing for me today. Zach, you recently celebrated a big birthday, thirty, right? Yep. Now it's on to thirty-one. Now it's on to thirty-one. You know another uh, another. Well, I guess building here <laughs> organization is celebrating their thirtieth birthday. Uh, the building for kids. The Children's Museum celebrating their 30th birthday, and they've got a lot of events that they are planning. I'm not going to get into too much detail because tomorrow, actually, we will be welcoming some folks over at the Building for Kids on the show to talk about their uh, agenda and their events they've got planned. Some stuff for the kids, of course, but then there are really fun things planned for those kids at heart, like myself, like you, Zach, who has great memory, uh, perhaps, of the 90s and maybe playing at the Building for Kids. Do you have any memories of playing there as a kiddo? I remember at their other location. That's where I remember most of my time yeah. with um, a children's museum in a different location. And I remember when it moved, it's like, oh, it's different. <laughs> it's different. I, 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 we went there as, a, as kids, and I knew I had some pictures of me, probably age four or five, at the building for kids at that time it was just called the children's museum and i did find my pictures i sent it to them actually they are looking for pictures so if you have any any pictures collecting dust in your basement perhaps of your kids or grandkids at the building for kids in the 90s they are looking for those and i'm sure we'll get more information to you tomorrow here but uh a really fun a really fun thing that they're celebrating they're going to party like it's 1992 great year for you zach so 
uh, <laughs> if you if you're interested in, in learning more about that, make sure to listen tomorrow on the show in our noon hour. We'll be talking more about their 90s themed adults only night at the Building for Kids. They're going to have food, jolly good soda, a Pizza Hut buffet. A cereal buffet. They'll have a 90s movie playing in the background. Lots of fun things. We'll talk more about it coming up tomorrow. But how do you feel now, Zach, that the decade that we were born in is now being referred to as the decade to talk about nostalgia-wise and, you know, all those all those things. Well, it's just odd how, like, the 80s now have just been pushed into that oldies generation where it's just now oh, that's all part of that same 60s and 70s, even though it's not. I mean, there's a huge gap between the 60s and 80s. It's just odd how it's slowly being absorbed. And I'm not sure if we're at that point where, like, music from the 90s will be considered oldies. When does that when does that movement happen? I don't know. It's odd, though, you know, how we look at time. Because if you were to say to me, oh, 30 years ago, you know, I was born in 1990, but I still think of 30 years ago as being... The, the 70s or the 80s. It doesn't seem like 30 years ago was the 90s, right? I don't know. It's that weird perception of time for, for us. I don't know if anyone else feels that way. Feels like yesterday. Uh, it's just weird. Very wild to think. My husband and I have been together for almost two decades. And I'll refer back to experiences when we were first dating and I'll say, oh yeah, back in 2015. No, no, no. 2005. <laughs> That's when we started dating. So it's, it's weird how, how fast time flies. Well, you think of when the internet really took off. So basically, when we're beyond the uh, dial-up era, where you had DSL or if you had cable, where that was where so much grew. I mean, where us growing up, where it was a big moment where social media took off, online buying. And that was more of around 2004, 2005. And we're only a couple years away. We're, we're about 20 years from that big explosion, including with social media. Right. Do you remember tying up your phone line, going on instant messenger as a kiddo, and then your your parents would try to make the phone call, and all they'd hear was that dial tone from the internet, and they'd yell at you to get off? I remember we didn't have internet <laughs> for a while. What my mom did have was, it was her Juno email where she can connect through the, yes. use, use the dial up, so it would take the phone line, but it was free email service. We had Juno in our house, too. Oh, my goodness. That's a flashback. Wow, that's a core memory that's coming back. Amazing. And I remember when we did get internet, which whew, I was probably around 2001, 2002 with AOL, with either the Windows 95 wasn't upgraded enough, so we keep disconnecting quite often. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fun times. How far we've grown. It's amazing. It's amazing how far we've grown and how far we've come. All right. With the few minutes we have left, I'm going to share a recipe with you all, something that maybe you'll want to add to your dinner rotation. If there's one thing in our in my house that I can usually get my kids to eat, it's noodles. So I try to experiment with as many noodle-based recipes as I can. And I have for you here a baked cream cheese spaghetti that is delicious, super cheesy, very creamy, certainly a comfort food. And of course, it's easy, which is what I love. And I will make sure to post this on our website uh, after after the show airs. But if you've got a pen and pencil ready, I'm here to share this baked cream cheese spaghetti recipe. So here we go. Here's what you'll need. You'll need one pound of spaghetti, one tablespoon of olive oil, a tablespoon of olive oil, one pound of ground beef, but you certainly could use turkey or chicken if you'd like as well. 
one pound of ground beef, one small onion diced. You'll need some salt and pepper to taste. One can of 28-ounce can, that is, of crushed tomatoes. One 28-ounce can of crushed tomatoes. A teaspoon of dried basil. Half teaspoon of dried oregano. Half teaspoon of dried parsley. A half teaspoon of crushed red pepper flakes. This is optional based on your preference for a little heat in your dish. You'll want to have a half cup of whipped cream cheese, but if you don't have whipped cream cheese on hand, that's okay. I like to just take whatever cream cheese I have and toss it in the mixing bowl for a little bit to whip it up a bit. You'll want a half cup of sour cream. I've also substituted Greek yogurt for this, plain Greek yogurt. Half cup of sour cream or half a cup of plain Greek yogurt. You want half a cup of shredded cheddar cheese and a half cup of shredded Monterey Jack cheese. And finally, a little parsley chopped up uh, really goes nicely on the top of this at the very end. So what you're going to want to do is preheat your oven to 350 degrees. Grab a 9 by 13 baking dish and oil that lightly with whatever nonstick substance you like to use. You'll boil your pasta in some salted water, and you'll drain that well. In the meantime, heat some olive oil in a large skillet, add that ground beef and that onion, and cook until the beef has browned. You'll stir in the crushed tomatoes, all of those spices, and then you'll season with salt and pepper to taste. And in a different small bowl, you'll whisk together some cream cheese and that sour cream. You'll add your pasta to that prepared baking dish. You'll layer with cream cheese and the beef mixture. You'll sprinkle with cheeses. And then you'll put that into your oven and bake until it's bubbly and heated through. Only takes about 15 to 20 minutes. So it can be a really nice quick dinner. I found too, if you make this ahead of time and freeze it, you can pull it out and bake it as well. And then serve it immediately. Garnish it with some parsley. You can add a little more cheese on the top at the very end and broil it if you'd like. But it's it's a crowd favorite, definitely a comfort dish, and a really delicious and fun way to present spaghetti in just a little bit of a different fashion. So check it out. I'll share that recipe over at my website, at our website, I should say, whby.com. With that, we will take a break for your CBS and local news updates. Hope you come back. Coming up in our number two, we're talking with Alicia Garrick, the new, the newly named executive director at Christine Ann Domestic Abuse Services. We'll also talk with the newest meteorologist at WBAY TV2. Bo Fogel joins us for the first time, and our focus on careers talks more about manufacturing and their electricity program. All of that to come in hour number two of Focus Fox Valley. When I wake up in the morning, love, and the sunlight hurts my eyes.
Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And thank you for returning for our number two of Focus Fox Valley. I'm Haley Tenpass. Broadcasting, of course, from the Myron Construction Studios of WHBY FM 1035, FM 1063, or AM 1150. We we are glad you are listening here to WHBY. We've got a great second hour of the show planned, including introducing you to a new voice here on uh, our First Alert Weather team. Bo Fogel will join us for the first time here on WHBY. Looking forward to that. So join us for that First Alert forecast coming in about 20 minutes. A quick hello as well to Zach Morris, who is hanging out with us in the studio producing today. Good afternoon, Zach. Good afternoon, Haley. All right. We are going to get things rolling as we are so happy to be checking in with Christine and Domestic Abuse Services. But something very exciting. The voice is so familiar to our listeners, but her title is new. We have Alicia Gehrig joining us, Christine and Domestic Abuse Services Executive Director. Alicia, good afternoon. Congratulations and welcome back to the show. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for having me. We are so thrilled for you. Of course, you were appointed as the interim executive director back in August, and it was made official a few weeks ago. I'm, I'm just curious to how you're feeling about this, Alicia. Let's just kind of start there. What have the past couple of weeks been like for you? Um, the pa- I, first of all, I just want to say I'm super excited. Um, very, very honored to be selected as the executive director for this organization. Um, really excited just to kind of be in this role and support the staff how I can, and then also supporting survivors in our community. The last few weeks have been busy ones. Mm-hmm. Um, they certainly have been busy just trying to get everything under my belt and um but overall it's been it's been wonderful it's been a great transition i'm glad to hear that of course you're not you're not unfamiliar with the work of christine ann you've been with the organization for for six years is that correct correct wow i'm curious to what inspired you to get into this line of work are we able to maybe hear a little history of alicia for a moment i don't know if we've ever done that and i'm just very curious alicia to hear how you got into this into this area that that helps so many people sure um i am i went to school at uw oshkosh for uh human services leadership and um I minored in social justice with a emphasis in prejudice and discrimination. And it was truly through that program and through um, my courses that I, I really truly knew I wanted to work in the nonprofit sector. Um, I got introduced to Christine Ann through one of my internships that I did um, throughout college and I just I knew the moment I stepped in this building that this was a place that I wanted to be uh, for a long time. And so I uh, have had the opportunity to start at the organization over six years ago as the volunteer coordinator and then um, identified some different gaps that were missing in our agency services in regards to community education. And so um, got the opportunity to kind of create a pre- position that focused really heavily on um, on really educating the community on domestic abuse, what that yeah. looks like, how people can get involved and be proactive. And then I've moved into different development roles, um, holding positions as the development director, um, the development manager, really just kind of taking more of that fundraising piece. 
So it's been a fun, it's been a fun six years. Um, <laughs> and the, the fun just continues. The so. fun continues. Well, congratulations again, yeah. Alicia. Um, what is something, you know, you, you've had your eyes in, in this world for, for a really long time. You, you, you've walked the walk with these clients. Um, and, October happens to be Domestic Abuse Awareness Month as well. So kind of perfect timing for maybe for this question here. But what do you wish more people knew uh, about your, your clients, maybe the situations they face or the reality of what domestic violence is and can be for some folks? That's a great question. Um, I think that survivor, survivors walk among us every single day Mm -hmm. in all different areas of our lives without us even knowing it. And so um, just having that compassion for people who, um, you know, we have no idea what they're going through. Um, And so just having that empathy and that compassion for folks in your life, in your social circles, um, domestic abuse is not a cookie cutter. This is exactly what it looks like. It takes so many different shapes and forms, and it is not always physical abuse, as we've kind of discussed time and time again. It can look, um, it can look so many different ways. And so, my biggest thing is, um, you know, make sure that you're educating yourselves on the different dynamics that kind of take place. And if you know someone in your life who may be impacted. Don't be afraid to learn more or reach out or provide those community resources because, again, we have no idea what those folks are going through. So just providing them with the resources and also um, kind of greeting them with empathy and compassion is so important. Mm, That's really important to share. And I know that you've said and shared this with us in the past, but, you know, just mentioning an organization to like Christine and Domestic Abuse Services to somebody, you know, they might not make that call today, but they might down the road. Uh, So it's just really important to get the word out about services that you provide. And of course, we want to keep and continue to support the work of Christine and Domestic Abuse Services. And I know that there's an event coming up this this week, believe it or not, that will do just that. So Alicia, let's take a little break. And when we come back, should we talk about Dine Out? Yep, absolutely. Fantastic. All right, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Alicia Garrig, Executive Director of Christine and Domestic Abuse Services, fills us in on how you can dine out for Christine and Domestic Abuse Services. More to come in just a moment. You're listening to Focus Fox Valley and Double. Excuse me on WHBY. We're talking with Christine Ann, Domestic Abuse Services today. And uh, October is Domestic Abuse Awareness Month. So, so important to, of course, highlight those organizations like Christine Ann that are working with those survivors each and every day. I was actually looking at some statistics. And according to the National Child Traumatic Stress Network, there are are about one in three women or one in four men who are physically abused by an intimate partner. And uh, that's far too many. That's far too many. Alicia Gehrig is joining us here today, Christine and Domestic Abuse Services Executive Director. And there's a way you can support the work of Christine Ann and an event that is happening tomorrow. Alicia, let's talk about Dine Out because I hope our listeners are hungry. Tomorrow is a great way uh, to, to help give back to Christine Ann. Absolutely. So we have our um, Dine Out Against Domestic Abuse event coming up uh, tomorrow. 
uh, Thursday, October 20th. And what this event does is we partner with local restaurants throughout Winnebago and Green Lake counties. And um, when individuals dine at these particular restaurants, these specific restaurants have dedicated a portion of the sales from the entire day to come back and support our organization. So we have close to 20 restaurants who are participating for tomorrow's dine out event and uh, we hope that you'll dine either in person at the restaurants or even carry out um, tomorrow at any of those participating restaurants and it's a really easy way to help support local restaurants but then also to help support survivors of domestic abuse. Yeah, a win-win all around. And I'd love if you're able to share a few, if not all, of those restaurants participating. Alicia, do you have those handy? Yes, I do. I'd love to share all of them. So we have um, Artie and Ed's, Dublin's Irish Pub, Elsewhere Market and Coffee House, Fifth Ward Brewing Company, Fox River Brewing Company in Oshkosh, Friar Tuck's, Gabe's Wisconsin Kitchen and Tavern, Ground Round Oshkosh, Jay's Barbecue in Ripon, Mara's Brazilian Cuisine, Mike's Place Family Restaurant, Rocky Rococo and Rose Subs in Oshkosh, The Bar in Oshkosh, The Roxy, TJ's Harbor, TJ's Highland Steakhouse, Town Council in Nina, Sassafras in Green Lake, and Z54 Wine Bar in Nina. Excellent. There's a little, there's a lot of variety there. Breakfast, lunch, and din- dinner is covered. I love that so much. And uh, big thanks to these restaurants, too, for um, participating and supporting uh, the mission of Christine Ann. That's wonderful to see so many different restaurants involved. Yeah, we are super grateful for their support um, each year, and we've had some some continuous restaurants every year since we started this back in 2019, who uh, have done it every year since. So we are incredibly grateful for those those restaurants, and then also the new ones that participate each year and want to get involved. So very very grateful for their support. Wonderful. Of course, uh, Alicia, it is Domestic Abuse Awareness Month. Uh, What else are you guys working on or what else should the public know about this month or things to keep in mind? Yeah, so um, Domestic Violence Awareness Month is um, a great month to just kind of help educate yourself. Um, Our social media has been kind of jam-packed with different educational items in regarding domestic abuse. Um, last year, uh, domestic abuse homicide lost, we lost 80, over 80 lives to domestic abuse homicide in the state of Wisconsin. Mm. Um, and so we, every single year at our Oshkosh shelter, we put up silhouettes with the stories of those folks who lost their lives due to domestic abuse. So if you happen to be, um, in the area, please take some time to, to read those silhouette stories and, um, those stories of, of real humans who lost their lives because of domestic abuse. And uh, we are just, if anyone is wanting a different presentation in their workspace, in their faith spaces, different community groups that they're part of, um, we would love to come in and do presentations to help educate um, how you can help 
survivors that are in your social circles and just how you can get involved. So we'd be happy to do those uh, trainings or presentations for, for your workspaces as well. It's a great way to get some wonderful education, uh, and, and no one does that better or helps guide you through um, maybe what some some signs could be and, of course, ways to help than Christine Ann. And if people are listening and thinking, you know, darn it, I don't live maybe in the Oshkosh area, I wouldn't be able to make it to one of those restaurants for, for dine-out day tomorrow, Thursday, October 20th, but they still want to give back, maybe want to look at your wish list, perhaps, and purchase a few items uh, that can be utilized at Christine Ann, where can they go to see those items or to make a donation? Yeah, so you can go to our website at christineann.net. We have a way to uh, donate monetary-wise. Otherwise, if you're looking to donate uh, physical items that we are in need of, we have a shelter wish list on our website as well. That, that we update monthly. So you can go on there, you can view our most needed items. And we also have an Amazon wish list, which is a super easy way to shop. You can go in, you can select the items that we're in need of, and it will ship directly to our Oshkosh location. So that is an, also a great way to kind of help support our organization right now. Yeah, and you might be surprised to see some of the items on that list um, and, and the things that are needed. So consider giving back. That is certainly an easy way to do so. And uh, Alicia, I'm so glad you could join us today. Again, congratulations on this and this new role for you. Not surprised in the slightest that uh, you have moved into this new chapter and we are, are so happy for you and can't wait to continue these important conversations on spotting, on helping, and and supporting those survivors of domestic violence. So thanks for being here today. Thank you so much, Haley. Appreciate you very much. Thank you, Alicia. Alicia Gehrig, everybody, Executive Director over at Christine Ann Domestic Abuse Services. Do not forget, Dine Out for Christine Ann is happening tomorrow. Almost 20 different restaurants. They've got you covered breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Visit christineann.net to dine out against domestic abuse. With that, we'll take a short break. When we come back, introducing you to the newest meteorologist at the First Alert Weather Center, Bo Fogel, joins us next right here on W. HBY. Once again, welcome back to Focus Fox Valley. Time now for our focus on careers and opportunity to highlight different careers that you can find classes for through Fox Valley Technical College. Today, we're highlighting the electricity program at Fox Valley Tech. And, you know, these are the folks that you call when the lights go out. They are able to troubleshoot all of those problems for you. And Jim Valance is an instructor in the electricity program at Fox Valley Tech. It also happens to be manufacturing month, which, you know, the manufacturing industry employs a lot of these students as well. So Jim's going to fill us in more on what what this program, what this career looks like in 2022, and we're welcoming him in today on our Settlers Bank phone line. Jim, good afternoon. Thanks for being with us today. No, thank you, Haley, for having me. Absolutely. So let's just get a better understanding of the program if we could first. I, I understand that it's a 33-credit technical diploma. So what might a student in this program be learning to do? Um, they will learn residential wiring. They'll learn commercial wiring. We do a little bit of industrial wiring, too. Um, they'll learn codes, different codes for different applications. Um, in 
in the residential program, we actually have a, a really good connection with Habitat for Humanity, and we actually wire all of their houses in the in the local area here. Well, that works out really well because they get great hands-on because it's it's a real life situation. It's somebody's house, you know, they're, they're going to live in forever. Wow. So yeah, it's a uh, it's it's great. They do the rough in, they put the service on it, they come back when it's ready to finish, put the switches, receptacles on, hang the light fixtures, paddle fans, things like that. Wow, what an amazing opportunity for for learning, of course, but a great responsibility to know that you're wiring the home for a family that that needs it. Mm-hmm, exactly. I love that. All yeah. right. So, but but beyond that, Jim, what types of jobs are you are you preparing your students for? Where might they be headed after going through the electricity program? Um, a lot of them, I would think, head into residential. I would say probably two thirds head into the residential sector. Um, the other ones will head into commercial, industrial, something that comes down the road if that's a career they want to pursue. But, uh, yeah, they'll be into wiring houses, and if they get into commercial, you know, they can be doing schools, they can be doing um, stores, uh, restaurants, things like that in in commercial. Excellent. We all want the lights turned on, right? (laughs) The heat on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And uh, this job, very important in making sure those things happen. So when you are looking at your students, tell us a little bit about uh, which type of student might be a good fit for this area are they are they kids who maybe have a lot of fun and and tinkering with things or what do you see uh in students what skills or interests do they maybe have uh in common um a good fit for for well anything in construction really it doesn't have to be just electrical but uh you know problem solving skills is is a number one uh mechanical skills is, is right up there too i mean you have to be able to use wrenches and tools and read meters and things like that so yeah, you know, just like I said, problem solving, mechanical skills. You know, that's that's what we're looking for, and they, those students that have those abilities, do well here. Yeah, you mentioned problem solving. I can't help but think of those scenes or scenarios we see play out on TV. Sometimes, do we cut the red wire or the blue wire? Right? Uh, are those mm-hmm. sometimes the situations that your your students might yes. be training for if there's an electrical emergency of some sort? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Interesting. A little MacGruber comes to mind. MacGyver comes to mind, but uh, yeah. <laughs> much more okay, serious yeah. than that, yep. right? <laughs> Excellent. Well, that's exactly what he does. He, he problem solves. Okay? We've got to figure it out. He sure does. He sure does. We're talking with Jim Valance here today, instructor in the electricity program at uh, Fox Valley Technical College. And and you mentioned residential construction or maybe commercial construction, you know, areas that these students are preparing to go into. Um, where might the biggest need be? Are you seeing one, you know, weighing heavier than the other at this time? Mm. Right now, there's a lot of construction going on, whether it be uh, commercial projects or houses that are being built. Um, There's a lot of huge projects out there right now. You know, anything from schools to hospitals, so, you know, things like that. So those jobs are taking quite a few of our students in the past year or so. And, uh, and the housing market is still doing pretty well. They're still building houses and subdivisions are going up every day. So there still seems to be quite a bit of work in that uh, that line also. So, yeah, I would say probably, like I said, probably about two-thirds will head to residential and the, and the rest of them will head to commercial. Or Some of them just decide they, that they don't want to do this. But most of them, most of them stay. 
most of them stay. Fascinating. Yeah. And and Jim, are you seeing students who are coming right from high school? Do you ever get those who maybe are looking for a career change? What's the age range or what are you seeing most in your students? I would say I would say probably 90% about are right out of high school. Every once in a while we get somebody that that wants to change careers. Um, some people in their late 30s, some in their early 40s even. I had one student one time who was actually my age, and I'm like, hmm, aren't you a little old to be changing careers? And he did it just to learn it. So, Interesting. Yeah, like I said, mostly high school. Okay. All right. That's wonderful to hear. And we hear of students of yeah all generations going back to Fox Valley Tech. Uh, we're going to take a short break here, Jim, but when we return more on how the electricity program ties into manufacturing, it happens to be manufacturing month in October. So don't go away. More to come in our focus on careers with Fox Valley Technical College right here on WHBY. Welcome back to our Focus on Careers with Fox Valley Technical College. We're learning more about the electricity program from Jim Balance, an instructor there. Jim, I want to shine the spotlight on you for a moment. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and what maybe got you interested in working in this career field? Yeah, I've always been really mechanical. You know, like I said, that that's a big thing with this. Sure. Any construction. And... Um, so I got into it pretty young. I've been in this, uh, this field for probably over 40 years now. So, and I enjoy it. I enjoy it a lot. And since, you know, <clears throat> since I've been in the field, I've been doing, uh, I've done just about everything, residential, commercial, industrial. And I moved into instructing a few years ago. I like that a lot. It's working well for me. And I enjoy teaching students. So, yeah, that's, that's what I'm thinking. Fantastic. I'm, I'm curious how the electricity world has maybe evolved over the years. Safety comes to mind for me. I know that things are, uh, if done correctly, you know, a lot safer than they were many, many years ago. What have you noticed as the, the world has evolved and maybe technology has advanced in this industry? Um. Smart home technology, there's some of that. Mm. Uh, obviously, green energy, a lot of uh, wind. Solar seems to be accelerating quite a bit these days. So, yeah, things oh. like that. Excellent. Excellent. Well, you've talked about this with us, Jim. You know, this program helps train students, obviously, to enter the workforce, but sometimes it helps, also helps you get ready maybe to pursue an electrical apprenticeship. Talk with us about apprenticeships and how common, how popular are these um, with employers here in the area? Um, yeah, the apprenticeships are becoming more and more popular seems like the employers are wanting their students to get more educated these days rather than get them out there in the field and just work. You know, they, they want them to know what they're doing and how to do it. So I would say, again, I'm just going to throw statistics out here. I would say probably as much as 40%, 50% of at least go into an apprenticeship. And uh, how they do that is they get hired by a contractor, and the contractor will sometimes sponsor them, sometimes they'll pay for part of it, or they'll pay for all of it, and uh, hand 
the time off. So, and they can either go with the union or non-union apprenticeships, and that's depending on which contractor they get hired by. Fantastic. I love that. All right. So October is Manufacturing Month, and we know that skilled workers are in high demand. There's also a shortage of them. So as you see it, um, how has this field changed over the years, or what do you maybe find surprising about today's demand for skilled workers in electricity? It just seems to be a lot more work out there. There's a lot more growth going on, I think. Um manufacturing jobs are out there, so they need electricians to install the equipment and, and wire everything in. It's just, there's more contractors is what I'm seeing, and so there's a lot more opportunity. Like I said, there's a, there's a lot of construction going on out there right now, so that's a good thing. That is a good thing. So it sounds like a career in electricity might be one uh, for, for listeners out there to consider if they have a young person maybe looking to go into some type of the trades or maybe are considering a new career, right? Yep, absolutely. This is a great field. I love every minute of it. So how do I we... I wouldn't change it. I definitely would not change anything of what I've done in my career, so... Oh. I love that. I love that, Jim. And what a great example, too. Your, your 40 years of experience and now kind of teaching what you've learned over the years to the next generation. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yep. So how would someone get in touch with you, perhaps, or, or the program if they are interested in this career? They can simply go to the website, the WFETC website. Uh, check that out. We are listed in there. <clears throat> Perfect. Search electricity. It's as easy as that. Yes, FETC. It is, a, it is that easy, yes. It really is that easy. FETC.edu. <laughs> is where you go. Search for the electricity program. And, Jim, we do appreciate you taking the time to talk with us here today. So thank you so much. And uh, here's to that next generation of work, those workers in the electricity world. Thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Jim. Jim Valance, again, instructor in the electricity program at Fox Valley Tech. Again, visit fvtc.edu for more details. With that, let's take another break, and I'll let you know what we're working on for your Thursday. Don't go away. All right. Welcome back to Focus Fox Valley. And thank you so much for joining me here on this Wednesday, a very full show. Hope you learned something new today. We'll have that recipe posted shortly over at WHBY.com. And make sure to check out that new exhibit at the History Museum at the Castle. It is a powerful one, um, a sad one to reflect to reflect on, but there is uh, some glimmer of hope when you see those amazing exhibits and those amazing dresses. I hope that you are maybe inspired to check that out. And with that, um, here's what we're working on tomorrow. Maybe you're, you'll come on back for tomorrow's show. We've got a great one planned. Starting with um, the Social Security Hour is here tomorrow. And the timing is really important as if you are looking for answers, if you have questions on the recent Social Security announcement of that huge cost of living increase. Tomorrow is your chance to get those questions answered. Tim Gerke is here. This has been uh, a huge topic of conversation in the last week. As soon as the news came out last week, 
I immediately emailed Tim. I said, Tim, I know this will be our focus for the hour. He couldn't have agreed more. And we're hoping if you've got questions, you will call in as well. Again, tomorrow, our Social Security Hour, all about the recent announcement in Social Security's big cost of living, that COLA increase. We'll talk more about that tomorrow in hour number one. Also, the Building for Kids with us on your Thursday. Again, turning 30 this year in in 2022. And we're going to talk more about how they are entering this decade number three with some fun events and activities for the kids and for the kids at heart as well. And finally, we are going to continue some of our spooky season talk. The Appleton Historical Society will be here with some history about some area cemeteries in Appleton. Not necessarily spooky, but if cemeteries maybe aren't your thing, we'll learn more about some of the history of the people who are in those cemeteries, some of the stories connected to that. And we'll we'll chat about that coming up on your Thursday. As always, thanks for being here, folks. So glad you joined us. We're wishing you the loveliest of days, and we'll be back here tomorrow starting at 11. Bye, everyone. When I wake up in the morning, love, and the sunlight hurts my eyes, If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.